Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast. Since 2010, the most listened to show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach Podcast with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is, without a doubt, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Podcast are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. After the show, you can find all of our podcasts at tedhart.com on iTunes. And now just say, Alexa, play Nonprofit Coach on TuneIn. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach Podcast, Ted Hart. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast. Thank you uh, for joining us today. We've got a very full show. Uh, so uh, uh, as you know, we always start with page one news. You can also follow us along over on Facebook today at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Um, so we're going to head right on over to page one news. First up here on uh, page one news is Ashley Gatewood. Ashley is the Communications and Marketing Manager at CFRE International. Ashley, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast, and please bring us up to date with CFRE International. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to talk to your listenership again. Our most pressing thing I would say at CFRE is that on July 15th is our next application deadline. So if any of your listeners are working on putting their application together, take advantage of the next two and a half weeks, polish it up, and submit it. I know in the past we've done many extensions of our application deadlines, but this one will not be extended and it will be affirmed July 15th. And for folks that are out and about at conferences, we will be at the Virginia Fundraising Institute next month exhibiting, and I will be presenting the CFA exam, Setting Yourself Up for Success session. And for your European listeners, we will be exhibiting at Case Europe in Birmingham in England in August, and our CEO and President Eva Aldrich will be on hand there to answer your questions. That's terrific. That's terrific. Um, how, do, how do you look um, in terms of numbers these days? How many folks are holding the CFRE certification? Great question. Yes, we're over 6,500 CFREs right now um, worldwide, which is a great number for us. We just had a testing window close on June 15th, and we had 202 new CFREs out of that batch. And also a a great stat for us as well is that 48% of those were millennials. So we are seeing more millennials step up and take charge of their career and move forward with the CFRE. Well, terrific. Well, as you know, the Nonprofit Coach Podcast highly recommends uh, anyone in the fundraising profession uh, who is qualified to sit, which, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that means you've completed five years of professional uh, work in fundraising. Is that right? It is to have worked 36 months 
In the most recent five years. Thirty-six bucks. Mm-hmm. And in the most recent five years. Um, so anyway, go to CFRE.org. We put the link up over at Facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart so that you can learn if you qualify. And if you do, I think it says an awful lot about you to volunteer yourself to sit for exam uh, and to become certified like your other professional peers uh, because that certainly helps build trust with donors and certainly provides guidance to nonprofit organizations that want to avail themselves of professional fundraising techniques. So uh, Ashley Gatewood, thank you again for joining us uh, here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach and providing us with that page one update. Uh, next Great up here on uh, page one news, you bet, Ashley, anytime. Uh, we always look forward to having you back here. Supriya Kumar is joining us uh, with a, a brand new uh, offering here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach because of uh, the um, uh, linkage between GuideStar and the Foundation Center, uh, now an organization called Candid, um, has been formed. And so we have the new Candid Corner. So, uh, Cypria Kumar, please introduce us to the Candid Corner and bring us up to date with what's happening at GuideStar and the Foundation Center. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, Yes, as you mentioned, Foundation Center and GuideStar recently um, in the past few months have joined forces, and so we're now one organization called Candid. And joining the forces was just the start of it. We're right now busy combining operations. There's a whole number of projects going through, and we're getting excited about new projects um, up and coming. So the work remains the same. We're still doing the same work Foundation Center and GuideStar have been doing, and you can still come to us for the same resources. But there are new exciting projects coming up soon as well. And in particular, I did want to talk about a recent report we just launched last month. Um, We looked at how U.S. households have been giving to disasters in 2017 and 2018, And this work was done in partnership with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy and the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And what we found was that 30% of U.S. households have been making disaster-related donations, um, specifically in 2017 and 2018. Um, So it's very exciting uh, new findings for us. We've been very um, focused on how philanthropy has been engaging in this topic with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. So it was really exciting and interesting to see how U.S. households have been um, responding to disasters as well. That's terrific. Well, it's always good to be able to avail ourselves of, uh, of new research. Uh, what else is uh, going on at Candid? We also just kicked off a great campaign to encourage nonprofits to claim and update their nonprofit profile on GuideStar. It's called the Summer Sprint, and organizations have until midnight this Friday, June 28th, to update and earn a new seal of transparency. We'll then select winners at random to receive up to a $500 donation to their organization. So if anyone is interested in participating, you can go to guidestar.org slash updates to get started. Well, that's terrific. Well, we will post that uh, over at uh, uh, facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart um, as a way to remind folks that uh, participating in uh, this uh, summer dash to uh, get updated because uh, here at uh, the Nonprofit Coach, we always encourage nonprofit organizations to provide transparent information. Uh, GuideStar gives you that running start um, because they have your information loaded from your 990s, uh, but it's in- incumbent upon organizations uh, to go in and use the templates to be able to share a more complete picture of your nonprofit organization. Um, and what percentage of charities, I, I understand it's it's quite low. We've been working for years to try to get the number up, but what percentage of charities represented on GuideStar uh, currently are uh, updating their information on a regular basis? Um, I'm actually not quite sure on the exact number. Um, I'll have to get back to you on that. Well, we appreciate that. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I, I think the last time I <laughs> looked, uh, it, it may be somewhere. No, sorry. I think uh, last, uh, the reason I asked that question is, Last time I looked, I think it was somewhere around 10 to 12 uh, percent, which is just really not large enough when we all say as uh, an organ, as uh, in nonprofit organizations that we want uh, donors to trust us, we want donors 
uh, to understand um, how important it is to give to nonprofit organizations. And here uh, is an organization, part of Candid, GuideStar, that provides you with an easy way to tell that story, um, and uh, you need to evaluate yourselves up that. So I also want to post the link um, uh, uh, to the U.S. Disaster, household disaster giving. Um, this it was just posted in May. Is that the report that you're referring to? Uh, it's over that's on your correct. issue lab by Candid. Yeah. Yes, that's so we're going to post right. the link to that as well so that everyone can avail themselves of that and what lessons uh, can be learned about household giving at time of, uh, of disaster. Uh, so again, wonderful to have you here, Supriya, uh, providing us with uh, the new Candid Corner. We look forward to having you uh, back here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great job. All right, we are ready to get on over to our page two expert. Our page two expert today is Patrick Schmidt. He is a leading innovator in the field of fundraising and social impact. Uh, up at, between 2009 and 2010, Patrick ran email fundraising for President Obama, where his team invented many of the existing best practices in digital fundraising. He served as a head of innovation at Change.org, helping to grow that organization to 200 million uh, members in just four years. Patrick is now the co-founder of Free Will, a social venture that has helped organizations raise more than $650 million in new planned gifts and qualified charitable donations. Patrick and his co-founder, Jenny, were recently named two of the top 50 philanthropists in the world by town and country. Uh, Patrick received his Bachelor's of Science uh, right here in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown University and his MBA out on the West Coast at Stanford University. And it is my pleasure uh, to welcome Patrick Smith here to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Ted. I'm really excited to be here. Patrick, we're excited to have you because uh, you certainly um, sit at a, a vantage point of understanding philanthropy and understanding what makes and motivates people to give to causes that matter to them most. Um, can you share with us, start off with, how, how did you end up with all of your background uh, in philanthropy? Why philanthropy? Yeah. So I have always been very interested in social impact. to be an, an work at Amnesty International or be a human rights lawyer. And there was something that was really striking to me when I was in college, actually, to start. So I joined in the early days a group called Stand, which was just a college club at Georgetown, the way that any college has dozens. And we were really focused on advocacy and work around what was happening in Sudan at the time in Darfur. So this is about 2004, 2005. We made a website, which wasn't an obvious decision at the time. It's hard to imagine that was only 15 years ago. And we got some early media attention. And within six months, there were 1,200 chapters of this organization called Stand in a dozen countries. And we were able to pass legislation through US Congress and raise millions of dollars for relief and do a lot of other things. Um, we certainly made a lot of mistakes. But it was eye-opening to me to see that people like me, who I thought of as relatively ordinary, could have an enormous impact with some effort and the right technology and ambitious goals. And as I mentioned, you mentioned in the biography, I uh, moved from online organizing into email fundraising and led that for two years for President Obama after his first election. And so working through the, advanced, uh, the Affordable Care Act and other things like that. And really the idea that you can you can use philanthropy as a way to help ordinary people achieve their goals in aggregates they wouldn't be able to do themselves was really exciting to me. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about how do you help normal people change the world? And that's brought me here. That's right. Patrick, regardless of what your political stripes might be, uh, arguably the Obama campaign and change.org itself um, are known in the sector to be among the most successful. Uh, and being able to take a message and motivate people, as you say, uh, to make change, to make change in their own lives, to make change in their communities and in their country. For our listeners here, um, which are nonprofit executives 
uh, primarily fundraisers, CEOs, and others who want to do precisely that. They want to make a difference in their community, for their nonprofits, and in their country. What are some of the key lessons that you learned um, in really sort of cutting your teeth on such important high-profile campaigns that are relevant to our listeners today? Um, that is a great question. I, I would really pull out three lessons from both of that work and really what obviously we stood on the shoulders of other giants who were innovating in the field. And three keys in, in effective motivation to action are probably um, one, extreme clarity. People undervalue how important it is to be exceptionally clear about what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to do it. Um, the second one would be E. And this is really undervalued, I think, especially in the major giving and the plan giving world. But because we have so much access to data, we tell that when donations, donations will go up by 20 or 25 percent, right? And this would mean removing a field or two from a credit card form or making a button a little bit larger or more clear on the page. And, yeah, and you might two, think two, someone's going to give did you say or ease? not. Did you say ease of use for number two? Yes making it extremely easy. And okay. just to give so you a, of, a quick story here. Going Go ahead. into the donor experience and how, how, how easy is it to find the way to give and then actually be able to conclude your giving? Exactly. Okay. And then third, I think, is helping people understand that this is something that people like them do. And the big shift at change.org, for instance, which is an online petition platform where individuals lead social change efforts, large or small, is when we started aggressively telling stories of people who were having successful campaigns. And then suddenly people realized that folks like them could change. And seeing people like them take similar actions is just so built into who we are as humans that it is is not just important, but it may be totally necessary in any effective campaign. Okay. So, Patrick, let me, let me explore this, because I, I just want to confirm that I've got this right. So, three main points, if you're going to be successful online, first is clarity of your message. Two, it's easy for me to do what, what I want. And, and I think those two, whether charities get them right or not, I think they understand those um, sort of, you know, at a very simple level. But then you bring in number three, which is um, not necessarily always thought of as equal to the other two, and that is, I, I've written it down here, is helping uh, you to understand that others are doing the same thing, that you're not the only one who's doing this. So that would seem to suggest to me that you, you believe successful fundraising, successful um, efforts of this sort, are truly group activities. These are community activities that I'm more likely to do what you want me to do if I don't feel like I'm going it alone, but that I'm joining in with others. Ted, that's exactly right. And so I would, I would restate it as follows. One, it has to be a group activity. Two, it has to seem almost normal. This is something that people like me do. I'm, I'm typing this down to make sure that we get this uh, out on, uh, on Facebook because I think this is, this is so powerful. And, and when you think of it, when, when, when you say those words, and, and my listeners are, are listening today, you know, furiously taking notes uh, so they can succeed in their, in their next uh, email campaign, we know these things are true, and we know these things are true uh, because we've either been part of these campaigns or we see the kind of success of those campaigns, but it, but it also is mirrored in, uh, uh, in things like uh, corporate uh, for-profit work as well. For instance, if you go to Amazon, one of the secrets to Amazon's success is to say, others who have bought this have bought this. And, you might, and so it's guiding you exactly where you're, you're suggesting here is it's clear what I want you to do. It's very easy for you to do it. And you're not the only one who's buying this product. And in fact, you might want to buy more stuff because people just like you who bought what you say you're interested in also bought these things. So it's that, that as you said, group activity. People like me 
do these things, it's very normal and natural for me to feel the way that I'm feeling and to take the action that I'm taking. That's exactly right. And I think your analogy so to the for-profit world is spot on, right? Anyone who has access to vast amounts of data can be six or seven donors. So let's make this very practical because here on the nonprofit coach, that's what we're known for is, you know, for large and small nonprofits, um, who may smaller nonprofits who may not have access to you know very expensive, uh, very skilled consultants like you, um, but but want to make a difference in their community, need to raise the money to be able to do the things uh, that they do. This doesn't have to be a massive campaign, right? Because one of the things that I've I've uh, often tried to get people to understand is that while this is new technology, it's not new thinking. Because if you go back to the earliest founding uh, of uh, American fundraising in, you know, in, in colonial America or before, um, it was the neighborhood block party. It was people coming together. It was neighbors coming together. It was the, the community chest. It was the, the sense that you're supporting important causes, but you're not doing it alone. And it's by combining our efforts that we can do so much more. Because I think that the average donor, and we're not talking about you know, multi-billionaires here who literally can fund an entire campaign themselves, who can move the needle all by themselves, but the average person who sees a need and wants to meet that need, they see someone who's homeless, or they, they see a neighborhood that needs revitalization, or they, they see uh, a group of children who need to be educated, or a museum that, that needs to keep its doors open, can I actually do that myself? Can I Im imagine myself doing that myself? And the, the answer is probably no. But in a successful campaign that you're talking about, what your, your job is in that campaign is to say, you're not going it alone, and in fact, good people like you are doing this. That's exactly right. And then moving into the ease point, thinking about how not just to make very small donor, going into this on things like text to give or online credit card forms. That's incredibly important. I mean, we could talk more about why that dynamic is, but actually it's very difficult for most people to make planned gifts, to make gifts of stock or mutual funds, to make qualified charitable distributions, which I know we'll talk about in a bit, and how to make that process easier because those gifts can be 10 or 1,000 times larger is also critical at the same time. That's right, and understanding how that works. So, you know, I, I often quip that, uh, you know, the average nonprofit professional believes that they're going to actually get a significant plan gift as soon as they go to one more seminar. Um, hmm. They just, just need to go to one more seminar, and then I'm going to get a big gift. And, and the reality here is, is that, that you, in free will, and I want to talk a little bit about free will, um, are making it more accessible to charities of all sizes to truly understand the concept plan giving, uh, which anybody who's in in involved with fundraising knows that that can significantly move the needle when you're talking about legacy giving versus annual giving. But it's so complex um, and is so tied uh, to the legal aspects of the tax code as opposed to just the charitable deductible aspects of the tax code that for most nonprofit executives, it seems far too complex. Why, what have you done to make it possible for more charities to get over that scariness hurdle, if you will, that legalese hurdle, and get it right and make a difference and give real Americans the opportunity to leave a true legacy? It's a great question. We spent, before building free will, my co-founder, uh, Jenny Spradling, who's actually off on her honeymoon right now, otherwise she'd probably join us on this show, is she and I interviewed hundreds of non-hundreds of why plan giving wasn't even larger. Most people realize it's almost $40 billion a year, which is dramatically larger than corporate giving in totality, and about two-thirds of all foundation giving. It's pretty extraordinary. We realized there were, there were two problems from a donor standpoint that nonprofits can actually step into 
And then third, we'll talk about the complexity for donors, or for nonprofits, excuse me. But for donors, there are two big things. One is that people really don't know where to start on plan giving or even estate planning. I routinely talk to plan giving officers who don't have an estate plan in place. I talk to parents, I talk to academics. We interviewed a, a literal rocket scientist out of Stanford who never wanted to even think about having an estate plan. So helping people start the process in a way that's warm and comfortable is key. The second challenge, which really surprised us, and I think really surprised a lot of folks that we've spoken to, is how at all. And Dr. Russell James has noted Patrick, if I could just that say, when every you so often I, I please Patrick, if I can just jump in. Every so often, I'm not sure if you're on your cell phone, you cut out and your words are, are uh, you know, not easy to understand. So that so sometimes I jump in to ask you to clarify something because we actually didn't get the words. So, so if you could just go back slightly and help us understand it after you said, you know, majority of people, you know, do not have estate plans, just pick it up from there. Happy to. Thanks for clarifying that. And I'll make sure to speak a little bit more into the microphone. So what we saw is that the vast majority of people do not have estate plans at all. And we're stunned at how often we talk to plan giving officers even who don't have an estate plan in place. And we've interviewed tons of smart, educated, in many cases wealthy folks, many with kids or even grandkids who don't have an estate plan in place. And it's because people really take problem one. The second large problem is how rare it is for charitable giving to be prompted during the estate planning process. And what we've seen from interviews is that as many as 80 or 90% of people who did have estate plans were not asked about charitable giving during that process. This is true for both attorneys and, and, and for things like legal Zoom and Rocket Lawyer, which are becoming increasingly prominent. Right. And that's, but that, that's not necessarily uh, on the charity because the charity may not be part of that discussion. That, that's more on, on the, the part of getting the word out to attorneys and to CPAs who are the hired professionals to help put those documents together oftentimes that if they don't raise it, then the point here is is that um, a lot of Americans are not asking that question themselves because it's not occurring to them. You, you wrote, I just want to draw our attention to our listeners, uh, you were interviewed and you were part of a story that uh, ran uh, late last year in Forbes uh, magazine. We're going to post this over on Facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. And what's quoted in this article is exactly what you're saying now is that fewer than 30% of Americans have gotten around to making wills in their lifetime. That's 70% of Americans don't have a will. And then even less is the 5% of individuals who include charitable giving in their estate plan. So we're talking about a very small number of people who are probably philanthropists during their lifetime, who are probably giving and care about causes in their lifetime, who don't understand how they can because their professionals may not be raising it or may not make it seem that that's something they actually can accomplish in their, in their wills. And 70% of people don't have a will anyway. Exactly. And I, we think these dynamics are costing the nonprofit sector at least $100 billion every year. And the way that we've thought about tackling it is intuitive and easy. And what if we put charitable giving front and center during that process? And so what we've done is we've created estate planning tools that are totally free for individuals uh, that they can either use to make an estate plan online, similar to a rocket lawyer or a legal Zoom, or really start the process and bring it to an attorney. We're thrilled with both outcomes. Mm -hmm. And by doing both mm -hmm. of those things, we're stunned by the results. So to date, about 60,000 people have done their plans through free will. Those people have committed $660 million in charitable gifts. Most of this is in the yeah, last year. Say that year. again. I mean, this is, this, I mean, good on you. I mean, to to break that logjam and to actually provide a tool that has already unlocked. Give us that number again. About six hundred and sixty billion dollars. So almost two thirds. Sorry, six hundred and sixty million million. Excuse me. We're not at six sixty billion, billion, billion yet. Million. Um, and and according to this article, and this number may have changed, so please correct me. 
is that the average bequest is worth $70,000. So this is very serious business for nonprofit organizations and, and really should be one of the biggest topics that's discussed anywhere in fundraising today. I think that's exactly right. That the average gift has gone up to about 83,000 as we continue to make improvements on the platform. And well, and it's you're just attracting more people, and, and that average is, of course, you know, uh, built off from the number of people who are using your platform. So freewill.com, and we've posted that, that link as well, but I, I mean, nothing in life can be free that's going to last. So you're, you've created this tool that how is freewill.com supported making it possible for charities to um, unleash the philanthropy that people had in their hearts to begin with. Totally. What we, we originally thought, let's charge users and and we didn't want to pay $99 for a plan and therefore weren't leaving a $400,000 bequest. And so everybody was losing out. And instead our model is that we work with nonprofits. We work with more than a thousand, including every local United Way chapter, and folks like the Red Cross and the American Heart Association, all the way down to a local dog shelter. And we create custom versions of the tools that they can share with their own supporters. So those folks get access to new tools that they might not otherwise know about. And then those nonprofits are seeing incredible ROI in terms of new bequests. So it's been a joy to work with so many organizations and we've been thrilled. Now in working with those charities, are you uh, providing, you know, uh, fee for service to customize uh, specific parts of the document that makes it easier for donors of a particular organization to customize their support or is this, um, you know, sort of one size fits all but it still works? It's a very bespoke approach. So we customize it for any individual charity to make giving extremely easy to that organization. Most people are getting outright gifts. We even work with a bunch of religious foundations who are setting up endowment gifts as well. And then we just offer a lot of marketing support and real-time data and analytics so that people can get smart about planned giving in a way that's been largely inaccessible in the past because the data around planned gifts is so poor generally. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, this is this is extremely important uh, information for all nonprofit organizations and for all uh, donors to to be aware of. Um, we're going to take a, a very quick uh, break here. Uh, when we come back, um, what I'd like to ask Patrick Smith uh, is to then share with us uh, a new report on qualified charitable distributions. What are they? Why are they important? And why is that continuing this incredible legacy that uh, he is bringing? Uh, to the nonprofit sector, and we will be right back. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always free and always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com on iTunes. And now, just say, Alexa, play Nonprofit Coach on TuneIn. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast with Ted Hart. And we are here with Patrick Smith and uh, Patrick. Um, has not only um, the co-founder of freewill.com uh, that we have uh, posted at facebook.com uh, forward slash Ted Hart, but is also author to a very important uh, new report, the 2019 report on qualified charitable distributions from IRAs, what the fastest growing area of philanthropy means for your organization. So this is a publication of free will um, and specifically is giving information on how IRAs uh, can be a source of uh, charitable giving. So walk us through or start off with um, it, what is commonly known as the IRA charitable rollover uh, for gifts or the qualified charitable uh, distribution, also known as QCD. So we have incredible ways to make things seem very complex. Um, so uh, break this down and let us know what is it. Great. So let's first define what a qualified charitable distribution or a QCD is. We commonly call it a QCD instead of an IRA charitable rollover because when donors hear IRA rollover, they think I left my job and I'm moving my 401k into a different account. And so coming back to the point of clarity earlier in the hour, that's how we think about it. A QCD or qualified charitable distribution is a gift directly from your IRA account. 
It's only eligible for folks who will be 70 and a half this year, this calendar year. And it goes directly from the account to the charity. It never goes to the individual's bank account, and that would trigger all sorts of of this has become increasingly important in the last three years, or in the last uh, year and a half, actually, to be specific. And it's because you see a dramatic decrease in the number of people who are itemizing deductions. This is due to recent tax changes. So the number of people itemizing deductions has dropped from 30% to an estimated 10%, which is a massive shift. And most of those people are not over 70 because if you're not working, you're less likely to be itemizing deductions. And so QCDs can lower your taxes while caring for the causes you love, even if you're not itemizing deductions, which is why it's so important. That's right. That's right. So again, those who are 70 and and a half uh, or older are required to take a required minimum distribution. And a QCD or a qualified charitable distribution can count towards that and failing to take the the required minimum distribution comes with a fine, um, and so one way to avoid that fine and to is to um, have some of those funds uh, go directly to a charity as a qualified charitable distribution. Is that one of the benefits of utilizing a QCD? That's a huge benefit. So it is the most tax efficient way for many people over 70 to give, and it is an urgent activity in a world where not a lot of urgency happens. And so if you are a nonprofit, you need to help your donors do this every year. In your in your report, you said of all nonprofits surveyed, 92% saw an increase in QCDs uh, giving from 2017 to 2018. Um, and, and again, that's probably tied uh, to the changes in the tax law which for many people, particularly middle-class folks, um, their effective ability to qualify uh, for a charitable deduction um, was removed by that tax code. Um, However, if you are 70 uh, and a half or older, um, you now can create a charitable deduction for yourself by taking the funds from your IRA. That's exactly right. And then on top of this, there are currently 10,000 baby boomers turning 70 every day, making 70 to 80-year-olds the fastest-growing age bracket in the United States. And these are exactly the people that are becoming eligible for QCDs. Now, I, I would imagine that for our, our average listener, um, as, as this increase in QCDs was happening, they all had to run to the internet or run to their legal counsel or run to their CPA to say, what is this? People are starting to send us contributions. Um, they know a lot more about it than I do. Um, so what do nonprofit organizations need to know, uh, both in terms of accepting a QCD, uh, but also perhaps marketing to their donor base to help them understand that you, you know how to accept a gift of this sort? What, what do you need to do? Well, the first thing to note is that QCD giving is somewhat of a disaster right now. And it's because the banks okay. are not prepared, donors are not educated about it, and most nonprofits don't know what to do. And so let's come back to the early principles of clarity, ease, and storytelling. And one, it's, it's incumbent on nonprofits to help people who are not just new to the new tax code, but also maybe new to being over 70, that this is exactly the kind of gift that you want to be giving. The second category is making sure that it's very easy for folks. And so we've actually built so let, a whole let me platform. Stop you there, Patrick. Go ahead, please. Let me, let me stop you there just because I want to put this in context because what I try to do is draw analogies to things that people might already know or might be thinking so that we can help them not be scared of, of something that's new, but to see that they actually know how to do this. So in, in a similar context, the average fundraiser would be able to articulate to a donor why they would make a contribution of appreciated stock over writing a check. Because they, they can tell the donor that they're going to not only get the charitable, uh, qualify for a potential charitable deduction, but also to avoid capital gains. So 
what we need to do is help the average fundraiser learn the language here, and, and I'm just sort of leading up to where you left us, that a QCD now needs to be part of your lexicon for any one of your donors who, as you said, may be new to being 70, 70 and a half, um, and now have assets that they also need to know how to manage those from a philanthropic perspective, just as you would want to and be able to tell that story about appreciated stock. You can give to yeah, the Patrick, causes you, you care broke about. Up just a little bit. So you broke sure. up just a little bit there. So did, did I get that right? Um, is that does that put it in context for the average fundraiser? That's exactly right. I think the simplest way to state it, if you're an average fundraiser talking to a, a donor, is this is a way to care about the causes you love, even if you're not itemizing deductions. You can still lower your taxes this way. And, and, that, and that's going to matter, particularly since um, with the standard deduction being higher, there are fewer opportunities uh, for people to qualify for additional tax relief, um, and, and even more so of an issue uh, perhaps for, um, for states that have higher property taxes now that there is a cap on uh, state and local tax deductions as well. So it's a new set of rules then, Patrick. It's, it's a standard set of language that a fundraiser has to learn because it's, it's always been there, but the importance to a segment of your donors is even more important now than it has been before uh, because of the changes in the tax code. That's right. And then the next challenge is people say, okay, I'm convinced I'll do this. How do I do it? And the challenge is that all of the IRA custodians have different mechanisms for requesting qualified charitable distributions. And so Vanguard's a different approach than Fidelity. Fidelity's different than TD Ameritrade, et cetera, which is a huge headache for nonprofits. And with this increase in the utilization, perhaps they were not prepared to have an increase in distributions to a wider number of charities, whereas you know, they were, they were you know, plenty prepared to make the distribution uh, to, to the owner of, of, the, uh, of the IRA, but now there's, there's more work and more effort to comply with their own rules in making those distributions to qualified charities. Correct. My co-founder, Jenny, who I spoke about earlier, is by all accounts brilliant. She was the top of her class at Harvard. She runs a team of amazing engineers here. It took her an hour and a half to get the right forms from Charles Schwab. And so you can imagine how hard it is for Jenny's grandmother. Yeah. So are there things that you are doing to help streamline that from, from, the, from the, the major providers, or is this still something that's going to be something that every charity is going to have to tackle? So we are. And we're fortunate while I'm talking to you, we have an incredible group of engineers and product folks who are working on a new platform that will launch actually tomorrow, which, which – okay accumulates all of the top processes for each of the custodians and makes an hour and a half process for making a QCD about four minutes. That's terrific. So will that be available at Free Will or is that a new site that you're telling us about today? So folks can just go to freewill.com and click on the nonprofits tab at the top and we'll set you up with a walkthrough of the whole tools and share more information about that as well. That's terrific. That's terrific. Now, when you say qualified, uh, and, the, and the report is, you know, very specifically talking about qualified charitable deductions, uh, uh, distributions, that would tend to suggest that there are unqualified charitable distributions that would be disallowed. What is an unqualified charitable distribution that would not be allowed um, in the, the QCD world? Great. It's a great question and an important one. So QCDs cannot go to donor-advised funds. They cannot go to private foundations. And there's also a cap of $100,000. So giving beyond, you can give more than $100,000, but there's no tax benefit from that. And so you'll still have to pay ordinary income taxes on any amount over $100,000. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, and that is extremely important. So for like an organization like uh, uh, CAF America, which I serve as president and CEO, uh, with expertise in uh, moving funds internationally, so for donors who want to contribute to international causes and still uh, qualify for a U.S. Uh, tax deduction and have full compliance with other uh, U.S. regulatory uh, regimes in place for international transfer of funds, um, you, we host donor advised funds but cannot accept a QCD into donor advised funds, but we also have restricted funds for charities which are not donor advised funds for which a QCD could um, be a qualified charitable distribution to a restricted fund but would not be able to be accepted into a donor advised fund. So understanding those kinds of nuances as well are important for charities uh, to protect their donors in not having an unqualified charitable distribution. So um, what are some of the key trends that you're seeing? Um, obviously, you've just identified and tomorrow uh, you're going to be uh, launching an easy way for nonprofits to get the forms, an easy way for, for donors to be able to get the forms that are necessary. And, and how many of the, the larger IRA um, uh, custodians uh, will be represented and their, have their forms represented on this new link? About 15. So the 15 largest will all be there. All right. So, so again, you, you know, removing all of the excuses that uh, charities might have and saying, again, this is really hard stuff. This is stuff I can't really understand or can't really help my donors. You really sort of can't afford to say that you're doing your job if you don't know what a qualified charitable distribution is, if you don't know that there's a new site launching tomorrow where you can find those forms so you don't have to spend or your donors don't have to lose interest by spending an hour and a half uh, to find those forms. And how does this tie into uh, the potential of, of uh, leaving a contribution via my will. Can I make arrangements in my will to direct a qualified charitable distribution from my IRA um, at the time of my passing? Almost. So what it actually does Almost. is I, you'll identify your donors who make QCDs are the most likely to make you a beneficiary designee of your IRA, which is actually a separate process than a legal will in almost all states. But you can, okay. if the folks that are routinely making QCDs year after year are a prime prospect for that conversation, and in many cases, IRAs can be quite sizable. So it's an incredibly important avenue that we think will actually take a big leap up alongside QCDs. So the first step, if I understand, is to know where the forms are, be able to speak the language of QCD, um, and to help uh, donors understand if you are a qualified charity that can accept a distribution. But when it comes to uh, talking specifically to those donors um, about leaving those, that's a separate set of forms, not the same forms that will be on this link. That's correct. And it's something that we may build future okay. tools around because it's a big opportunity for nonprofits. Right. But th this is incremental. So I, I understand where you're going here is that, you know, starting off with the will itself, uh, when 70% of Americans don't have a will uh, and only 5% of those who do have a will uh, are leaving funds to charities and, and very well may want to because certainly there are more than 5% of Americans who are donors right now who care about charities right now. So they, they may want to um, also have those, uh, the, those charitable interests represented in their legacy documents. And then taking us to the next step to say, well, there's also uh, something that is related to retirement, um, related to later life, 70 uh, and a half, uh, and that's this whole notion of IRAs and that there are qualified charitable um, distributions there's special forms, and so now you're building that out. So, so sort of the next step beyond that is, well, what happens when you marry those together? You have an IRA, and, and it is at the end of your, your time, um, and you provide that will. Then how do you make sure that you've got the proper documentation so that your wishes are, are able to be um, understood in your will? Exactly. 
so summarizing, bringing all this uh, this together, going all the way back to the incredible work that you've done, uh, that you've unlocked uh, nearly a uh, uh, billion dollars already, is that right? Um, in new donations, new wills, uh, working with uh, with charities, making that very easy. Well, what what lies ahead uh, for Patrick Smith, who's already made uh, such a, a contribution? What are you seeing as some of the, the greatest needs when you have shown yourself to be someone who can take arguably some of the most complex parts of people's lives and give them philanthropic roadmaps? Well, first I'll, I'll say what lies ahead for Patrick Schmidt is much more what lies ahead for our incredible team. There's 33 folks uh, that we're working with today at Free Will, and most of them are dramatically smarter than I am. But when we look at the landscape together, actually, you know, let's step back to the campaign moments for a second. So we've seen okay. a ton of innovation happening on small dollar giving, and a lot of this innovation is driven by political campaigns. You know, a lot of money, a lot of urgency, a lot of very smart people in a short amount of time. And so things like text to give and things like easy email forms and even is the whole category of giving that's incredibly important that's been totally left behind because it has nothing to do with political campaigns. Planned giving, qualified charitable distributions. We think stock giving is an incredibly difficult process that many more people should be doing and they don't know how. And so that's another level of exploration for us. And we hope within six months that there's a lot more work we can do to support nonprofits to facilitate stock giving and things like donor advised funds, et cetera, et cetera. So we look at the more complex and the larger types of gifts that are dramatically larger and try to make them significantly easier because in many ways it makes no sense that it's so much harder to give a $250,000 bequest than a $25 credit card donation. Right. Right. And I think that the nonprofit organizations who are the beneficiaries um, in many ways are also clueless um, as to how they can provide simple tools or answer questions in a way that, that provides useful information to those that are trying to do good um, with their will, with their IRAs, um, with other assets that they may have, um, because the rules can sometimes be daunting for both the donor and the charity. How, how, what does the future look like in that capacity? I think a lot of nonprofits, and this is mostly true in plan giving, but also other areas of major gifts, where they feel like they either need to be good at everything to do anything, and that's a big mistake. 85% mm, yes. of plan gifts are bequests, and so if you are not the American Heart Association, who we love, but has a lot more resources than many other organizations, start with the quest. If you're, yeah. you know, think about how to get a little bit better at accepting stock gifts or QCDs, and don't feel like you need to run your own annuity program. And so being unafraid of, uh, of stepping forward, even if you're not going to do everything, There are a lot of people that are out there who make a living being estate planners. Why do they avoid philanthropy as a discussion point uh, when, when clearly a lot of Americans are philanthropic during their lifetime? That's a great question, and I wish I had a better answer for you. I think in some cases it's that they don't want to offend anybody else in the family by suggesting that not all the money goes to kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids. And part of it is that they just don't think about it. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that go into estate planning that have nothing to do with charitable giving. And sometimes that just mm -hmm. takes, you know, the whole conversation out. Right. Well, it, it goes back to the sort of the age-old question of, uh, you know, who he loves most or who she loves most. And, of course, the children you know, uh, want to want to believe that, you know, all of the funds, all the resources, the entire estate will benefit them. Uh, doesn't mom or dad love me most? Um, and, and to broach the subject of there are causes that are dear, there are needs in the community, there are things that I do want to accomplish uh, with some or all of my estate at the time of my passing um, is, can oftentimes be a very emotional discussion. That's right. But I think in our conversations with, with 
children, uh, meaning adult children, they're often be thrilled for 10% to go to a cause that was really important. It's not an all or nothing question, mm -hmm. and, and people tend to forget that. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're, you're quoted as, as saying that the human instinct to avoid thinking about death means that nearly 70% of Americans do not have an up-to-date legal will. So it's not just the charities that they're leaving behind, but their families as well um, because of this, you know, mental wanting to avoid the thought of death, but it can oftentimes lead to a lot of problems for the family and oftentimes catastrophic um, outcomes to your estate if you don't make your wishes clear. That's definitely true. There's an estate planning crisis even outside of how it affects plan giving. Right. So I think you're raising a very important point for the philanthropic uh, sector in terms of the, the funds that uh, very clearly you have shown. And, and I think what's wonderful about free will is that, you know, you started with a theory that you thought there were philanthropists out there, uh, well-meaning people who would want to leave funds to charity if they had an easy way to account for that in their will. You've proven that. Uh, with, uh, you know, growing every day, but just shy of a billion dollars of new funds that are released. And, and we know that those are uh, new funds because these folks didn't have a will and now have a legal basis upon which their wishes can now be attended to uh, when they pass. And that, there, you know, there's very few people who can say that they, they actually have allowed people uh, provided them with a pathway to accomplish what they would have liked to have accomplished, but for 70% of them when they pass, those wishes would not be known, could not be adhered to. Thank you. It's something we're really excited about doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's, it's rare that you get to solve one problem by solving another, but that's how we think about our work. In our final few moments here together, Patrick, would you summarize the, the strategy that you feel each of our listeners should employ from the listening of this podcast going forward uh, and then wrap up, uh, we've got about three minutes here, uh, wrap up with how can our listeners reach you and free will? Great questions. So I'll just summarize to say that it, remembering that humans are humans and we react humans need clear pathways that they understand the outcome even before they start um, that making things easier will dramatically shift your own outcomes and you can see this in all the technology you use and all the work that uber or airbnb or amazon are doing to help you spend money you can apply those same principles to help people change the world and the third is just a reminder that, that storytelling works. I mean, storytelling is our oldest form of communication, and understanding what people like me do on a daily basis is the number one guiding principle that most people use on action. And so start to employ those principles, and I'd love to hear how they go for you. You can always reach us or anyone on the team at freewill.com. Even if you're interested in the demo, there's a link to our QCD report there as well, and we're happy to share that. And then you can reach me personally at patrick at freewill.com. We try to have big ears, and we've been really benefited by the advice and thoughtful wisdom and sometimes disagreement of people that we respect across the field. And it's been an incredible resource to us. We try to be intellectually curious and humble, and then use everyone's great ideas and build great technology that has real impact with those ideas. One of my takeaways from what you said today is, you know, don't necessarily focus on the outcome being the money, but focus on the outcome of people making a difference in their communities, telling that story and allowing them to know and understand and feel that they are part of something greater than just themselves by doing exactly what they've set out to do is, is a great way for every one of our listeners to take away from today and become far more successful uh, in the work that they do for their organizations. I think, great. Patrick, 
Patrick Smith, thank you so much for being my guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for bringing your innovation uh, to the nonprofit sector, and we certainly look forward to having you back on the show as you release more and more easy-to-use, easy-to-understand, taking the complex and putting it in the hands of every American to make a difference in their communities. Thank you, Patrick. Ted, thank you, and thanks for a great show. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.